This is Carol Foster at 2 Timothy 2.15 Resources, and I am so excited that you're going to join me today as we study God's Word. The response New Messianic believers give when asked why they initially visited a Messianic congregation is, we knew there had to be more. As we study together, we will begin to see that yes, indeed, there has to be more. For additional study aids to assist you in studying along with us, go to our website, sectim.org. During our last session, we were studying the characteristics of the name of Jehovah Tiskanu, our righteousness. We looked at scripture that clearly showed us that in ourselves we have no righteousness, and we indeed have a wicked and deceitful heart. We also discovered that man can be right with Jehovah. Righteousness is more than goodness. It is a right standing with Jehovah himself. Righteousness means to be straight, is to do what Jehovah says is right, to live according to his standards and not the world's or even our own. But righteousness requires a new heart. We have begun to take a closer look at the promise of a renewed covenant as found in Yerbeyahu or Jeremiah chapters 31 and verses 31 through 34. To keep us in context, I want to again define the different types of covenants. The exact phrase New Covenant is found nowhere else in the Tanakh or Old Testament, although the idea associated with it is frequently expressed. A covenant is an agreement between two or more parties in which obligations are placed on one or both. One common type of covenant is a treaty which was between parties of unequal power, in which the stronger placed obligations on the weaker party. We can see this in 1 Samuel 11, Exodus 19-24. Another type of covenant is a contract. This was between parties of equal bargaining power and consisted of mutual obligations. We can see this with Jacob and Laban's agreement in Genesis 29. But perhaps the most interesting type theologically and the type most applicable in this passage was the grant. It was between parties of unequal power in which the stronger obligated himself for the benefit of the weaker party without reciprocal demands. We can see this in the covenant with Noah and with Abraham and even with David. The covenant was the primary model Jehovah had chosen to use in communicating to Israel the nature of the relationship that they would have with him. The foundation for that relationship was Jehovah's promise to Abraham of an innumerable offspring and a land where he would bless them forever. They would also be the channel through which he would bless all of the nations. There was a conditional element to the covenant in that faith signified by circumcision and by right behavior. This was required of Abraham's descendants in order to qualify as heirs of these promises. Nevertheless, it was a grant in that Abraham was assured of its ultimate fulfillment and of a perpetual remnant of believing descendants. This is the type of covenant that is stated in Yirmiyahu 31 verses 31 through 32. I want to read these verses so that we may stay in context. Behold, 
days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. The renewal or refreshing would not come immediately. However, as was stated in verse 31, the days are coming. The Mosaic Covenant would remain in effect, governing the lives of the people until the inauguration of the refreshed one, which the incarnate Lord of the Covenant declared would be at his crucifixion. We find this in Luke chapter 22, verse 20. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. Nevertheless, even though this passage is quoted in the Brit Hadashah, or the New Testament, and is usually applied to the church, we need to do a closer observation of these verses. So let's ask some questions of the text. Who was speaking in these verses? Well, we read that the statement, the Lord is declaring this. Who was he speaking to or about? He is speaking about the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Did you catch that? He was speaking about a specific group of people. Not all the people. Only to the house of Israel and Yehuda. This statement in verse 31 should not be missed. It was with Israel and Yehuda that the Lord intended to establish the new or refreshed covenant. In Romans chapter 9 verses 30 through 32, Rabbi Shaul tells us, What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith, but Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. According to the Apostle Shaul, it was because the chosen people, in general, temporarily rejected the new covenant in the Brit Hadashah, again, or the New Testament error, that it was then offered to the Gentiles. An interpretation of these verses concludes that although the blessings of the New Covenant are now being experienced in a partial way by believers today, a time is yet coming when a reunited ethnic Israel is converted and blessed together with believing Gentiles with the fullness of the New Covenant promises. I want to read that promise. We find it in Zechariah chapter 12, verses 
10 through chapter 13, verse 1, so that we can see these promises for ourselves. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In that day there will be a great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning of Hadadrimon in the plain of Megiddo. The land will mourn, every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the wife of the Shimonites by itself, and their wives by themselves. All the families that remain, every family by itself, and their wives by themselves. In that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for impurity. Whenever we see the term, in that day, it is referring to the end times. According to this passage and what we've previously discovered, in the end days, the people of Israel and Judah will come to the knowledge of who Yeshua truly is, the Son of Jehovah, the promised Messiah, and they will mourn for their error. But in that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin impurity and salvation through Yeshua the Messiah we see how this will happen in Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 26 through 27 we read moreover I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. The Jewish nation as a whole will have a new heart, and the change will be as we previously read in Romans 9, verses 30 through 32. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness? Even the righteousness which is by faith, but Israel pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though if it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. That stumbling stone was Yeshua. His message of faith, trust in him for our salvation and reconciliation with Jehovah, not of works to attain forgiveness, but of faith or trust in who he is and what he said. We see this in Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. We are Jews by nature, and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ. 
and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. And again in Titus chapter 3 verses 4 through 7 we read, But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It is by his righteousness that we receive forgiveness of sin and reconciliation to the Father, not by works or deeds. This is the renewed covenant that the nation of Israel will receive on that day when they recognize and accept Yeshua as the promised Messiah. All this, a renewed or fresh refreshed covenant, and thus a new heart, will come because of a righteous branch named Yehovah Tiskanu, the Lord, our righteousness. You can be right with God. You can be righteous. You need not live in an endless cycle of sin and failure. Your heart need not be desperately wicked. You can have a new heart. You need not turn away from him. Yirmiyahu 32 verse 40 tells us, I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good and I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. How will this happen? It's all wrapped up in understanding his name, Jehovah Tiskanu. Let me explain. Step by step, verse by verse, understanding upon understanding. I challenge you to hang in there and you will be blessed. I want to begin by reading Yermiyahu 23 verses 1 through 6 where Jehovah Tiskanu is first used. Remember the rule of first usage? The first time a word is used in scripture sets a precedence for its usage throughout the word. Now listen carefully as I know that you will appreciate the references to shepherds and sheep since we just studied Jehovah Ra or Jehovah is my shepherd. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I am about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture and they will be fruitful and multiply. I will also raise up shepherds over them and they will tend them and they will not be afraid any longer nor be terrified nor will any be missing declares the Lord. Behold the days are coming declares the Lord when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. 
Before we continue, we need to think about what I just read. We've studied Jehovah Ra in several of our recent sessions. We've also studied the condition of Judah during Yermiyahu's time. Do you remember who the bad shepherds were that we just read about in Yermiyahu? Let's do a short review. We have discovered in Yermiyahu 5 verses 30 through 31 that an appalling and horrible thing had happened in the land. Let's read these verses again to remain in context. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule on their own authority and my people love it so. But what will you do at the end of it? And then in Yeremiah 6, verses 13 through 15, we read, For from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, Peace, peace, but there is no peace. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they have done? They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. The prophets were prophesying for their own gain and fame. They were telling people what they wanted to hear and not what Jehovah was saying. The people loved it. There was no condemnation, no correction, and no accountability. They were not even considering what the outcome would be. Jehovah had dealt harshly with this type of behavior previously, and the prophets and the people seemed to have forgotten what the results would be. Then in Yermiyahu 13 verse 10 it tells us, This wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who walk in the stubbornness of their hearts and have gone after other gods to serve them and to bow down to them. Let them be just like this waistband, which is totally worthless. The people had refused to listen to Jehovah and had walked in their own stubbornness of heart. They had gone after other gods to serve and bow down to them. The whole nation, other than a remnant, had compromised themselves. The corruption had spread even to the top, polluting the priesthood itself. And per Yermiahu 14.10, Thus says the Lord to this people, Even so they have loved to wander. They have not kept their feet in check. Therefore the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and call their sins to account. No longer would Jehovah accept them. He had to call their sins into account. We read in Yermiyahu 18, 5-11, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does? declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I might speak concerning a nation, or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, 
I will relent concerning the calamity I planned to bring on it. Or at another moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up or to plant it. If it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good with which I had promised to bless it. So now then, speak to the men of Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning calamity against you and devising a plan against you. O turn back, each of you, from his evil way and reform your ways and your deeds. Judgment was certain. Nothing except repentance and a return to righteousness could stop it. Yet we found in Yermayahu 18.12 that confronted with the option of repentance and righteousness, the people's response was, But they say it's hopeless, for we are going to follow our own plans, and each of us will act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. His own people had become so hardened, calloused, and evil that even when confronted with an option for restoration through repentance and return to righteousness, they refused. Do you see this happening in our world today? The world today is no different than the world of Yermiyahu's time. Many believers today are doing the very same thing. When confronted with their sin and disobedience through the word, it does not convict them to return to righteousness. No, whether they actually say the words, I will not repent and return to righteousness, their actions show their response. For some odd reason, many believers today think that we are beyond repentance and righteousness in our relationship with Jehovah. Nothing could be further from the truth. We are today, just as Judah and Israel were then, called to follow his instructions for our lives, to live a life of self-examination, repentance, and return to righteous living. Remember, we serve a God that doesn't change, and neither does his word. There's a verse that I want us to read once more, as it's very important for us to recognize and to understand. It's Yermiyahu 23, verses 5 through 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king, and act wisely, and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. These verses speak to the developing messianic belief in Israel. There are only a few messianic prophecies in Yermiyahu. All the kings had failed, so Jehovah determined to provide his own ruler from the Davidic dynasty, who was to be the Messiah or the Anointed One. We have read previously in Yermiyahu 7.32 that days are coming when the Lord will raise up one called a righteous branch. There are several researchers, Rudolph, Bright, and McCain, that translate this term as a legitimate shoot. 
The term, Branch of David, or Branch, has become a messianic title. It is significant that this title has been clarified by the discovery that the Phoenicians used the word to refer to the rightful heir to a throne. This ideal king will rule wisely. This ruler will do what is just and right. Both Yehuda and Israel, which are the descendants of the original and united Davidic kingdom, will be saved and live in safety under this ruler. Thank you for joining us today as we delve into the beautiful truths of God's Word to indeed discover that there has to be more. I pray that the Word applied to your daily life will bring a deeper understanding of His love letter written just to you. Let me remind you that we have additional study aids to assist you with our studies together on our website. It's sectim.org. May this day fill you with the love of God, joy, and shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken in your life.